welcome back to Disrupt Podcast. I'm Gabriella Mulligan. And I'm Tom Jackson. For this four-part podumentary, we've partnered with three of Africa's top retail tech ventures, Trade Depot, Omnibiz, and Market Force, to bring you the lowdown on Africa's burgeoning e-commerce and retail tech landscape. In this episode, the third of the series, we'll be discussing funding. And with our partners among the biggest fundraising startups in the e-commerce and retail tech space on the continent, we've got just the right experts on hand to share their experiences of interacting with investors in the space. We'll talk about how investor attitudes towards e-commerce and retail tech have evolved over recent years, the differences between local and international investors active in the space, and unpack some of the hurdles or differences to overcome in the startup investor relationship. First, let's talk to Kachi Izukane of Nigeria's Trade Depot a B2B e-commerce and embedded finance platform which enables factory-to-retail distribution for consumer goods companies. Kachi most recently steered the startup through a $110 million equity and debt Series B round in late 2021. In the last sort of five years, um, we've seen investors as being pretty much on the same learning journey that you know, operators have, have, have been on. You know, um, if I think back to... 2017, 18, the first time we started talking with investors about this opportunity. Um, the, the feedback, you know, was more along the lines of trying to understand, you know, what the problem was and why it made sense to attack it and how, how this could work, ETC. Um, over the, over the years, if, you know, if I think back, say, to a year or two ago, um, what you would tend to find would be investors who have now become, you know, who have now spent, you know, significantly more time thinking about the model, developing their own thesis as to the digitization of, of, of retail. Um, it's, you, you end up spending much less time, you know, thinking about, the model and why the problem needs to be solved. Um, but in, very importantly, you, you, you now find yourself spending more time with investors thinking about how to build, you know, sustainable businesses around this. Right. And so I, I think that's indicative of, of the market, you know, increasingly maturing, you know, just from an investor and operator standpoint where you've gone from Trying to understand why you know something needs to be done done here, and you've moved on more to figuring out the how and thinking about sustainability as well. Depanka Rustigi of Nigeria's Omnibiz, which operates an end-to-end supply chain framework, led the company through a fifteen million dollar pre-series A raise earlier this year. He says that generally speaking, attracting early-stage funding in the e-commerce space might prove tricky, but for slightly more established startups with the right metrics. Securing investment is not a problem these days. This is something that is being discussed day in, day out in various startup communities. That is there enough money? Is there dry powder left for investments? And I feel there is enough dry powder to scale the startups that are doing well. So if you have the right metrics and right focus, understanding of your industry, there is enough money for you. So we don't feel that there is a change in attitude from the investors. It would be for investments in the earlier stages, uh, in the uh, stages where uh, you need growth capital and you are not hitting the metrics. In those places, your seed funds, it would be difficult for you to get funds. But if you are a startup 
which has got the right metrics, you would be able to get the funds to scale. So what are the key features that investors need to consider about an e-commerce or retail investment in Africa? How risky actually is a retail tech investment on the continent today? Tesh and Babu heads up Kenya's market force, which facilitates trade between informal retailers and consumer brands via a digital marketplace. And earlier this year, secured a $40 million Series A round. He says African e-commerce is a sure win over the coming decade. But it's all about backing the right horse. So the continent is said to have uh, the highest number of e-commerce users uh, in the next decade, simply because of the sheer size of, of the continent. So looking at this opportunity and tremendous increase year on year in terms of the e-commerce spend, um, I, I, I think it's about backing the right horse. Uh, but there's no doubt that the segment, the e-commerce space, is going to continue to grow uh, quite rapidly. Kachi agrees. In a sector focused on answering such a core need for a huge population, he says the demand for and value proposition of e-commerce will not diminish. But I think there are a few very important features of this space that would be very useful to take on board for any parties trying to assess risk. One of the very important ones, I think, is the fact that this play focuses on the informal sector, which is easily the most resilient sector you have within most emerging economies, right? And so while that isn't recession-proof or, you know, immune to other um, sort of um, economic dislocations you would tend to find from time to time. What that often means is that you're focused on solving a problem that is really urgent. Um, and, and you know, it doesn't matter how bad the economy gets. People need to feed. People need access to the most essential items that, you know, that their lives, that their lives depend on. And they will continue to figure out ways of getting access to these items. Right. And so a value proposition built around enabling access for a large majority of people to solve the most urgent of their problems would always be, uh, you know, a problem worth solving. Dipanka says an e-commerce investment is no riskier than a deal in any other space. But startups need to ensure they can demonstrate progression towards tangible profit goals. I would say it's not riskier than any other category. It, it has similar risks like the others. Uh, the main question is the product the startup is creating, which will give them an edge in the future. What what exactly is the product? What exactly is the solution? If If there is a clear path to the solution, it, it's not risky. If, if the startup has a path to gaining a large GMV or um, gaining large number of customers without retention, uh, investing into marketing without large conversions, that that market is lost. So you can't have a 10 years horizon of um, profitability. You need to see progressive improvement towards the end game. Our partners have seen a lot in the fundraising arena in Africa. So what would they say are key difficulties when fundraising for a retail tech venture on the continent? 
Let's go back to Dapanka, who says discussions with global investors in particular can be misaligned if they don't fully appreciate the realities of the African market. They need to take on board the need to grow the whole ecosystem, not just push for growth and returns from one single startup. We would classify the investors into two parts here, the global investors and um, investors who are from the African space. Uh, Some of the difficulties we have faced from the global investors is the understanding of the landscape. The returns expected from the startups and maybe the pressure in terms of gaining large GMVs, those those understandings or those the scale without growth in ecosystem those are things that don't work so i would say understanding the landscape and building um the right not star the right matrix for the startups to scale that would be a great thing the difficulties faced when fundraising for a retail tech is um, since retail is a very large market we've seen investors getting swayed away with the large numbers without a clear understanding of the landscape. They're not looking at improving the solution over a period of time. They are looking at instant gratification in terms of uh, getting large GMVs and large valuations and looking at short-term exits. And I think those challenges are the ones we want to stay away from. So that's that's what we have seen as in, as the challenges in the retail tech venture investment. For Tesh, the biggest challenge in the fundraising space is a crowded market, both in terms of startups and number of investors. Finding a match can be difficult, and for investors, picking a team capable of executing in this space can seem daunting. So the biggest difficulty is because of how massive the opportunity is. It's attracting a lot of startups as well as a lot of investment uh, and investors in the space. So um, for a lot of uh, investors... It's a very scary uh, space to get into because of this competition uh, and also just how complex uh, solving the solution is, especially in a fragmented continent. So uh, investors have to question the team's ability, the experience, uh, and the capabilities to execute and scale a tech venture on the continent. That's, that's been the biggest difficulty. Creating, building confidence um, that you are able to execute on, on such a vision. Once a connection is established between an entrepreneur and a potential investor, are there challenges around valuing a retail set venture in Africa? Particularly given the large amount of upfront capital often needed in this space, balanced against the relatively long play of the African e-commerce game? Kachi says in his experience, valuations are rarely calculated in isolation. In a healthy entrepreneur-investor relationship, the valuation will be a matter of discussion around approach, plugging in numbers and agreeing something that works for everyone. I think generally you you will tend not to come up with valuations in isolation, right? Um, In every funding round where we've gone out to engage with investors, the focus has always been to ensure that, you know, we, we agree on the, an approach that makes sense an approach that is consistent with, you know, how the market is is thinking about, you know, valuation for, you know, for whatever venture at that point in time. And then, you know, once you are aligned on approach, the, the your numbers will then do the rest of the work, right? It will simply become plugging 
plugging your numbers, but also plugging, you know, other qualitative aspects of your business into, you know, sort of that approach that has been agreed and then working out a number that everyone um, is comfortable with. To be candid, you know, for us, when we, when we look to raise, we try not to just focus on optimizing for valuation, right? Ultimately, what you're keen on doing is finding the right investors around the table, you know, parties who are able to support your growth, who can add real value um, to the, to the, you know, to what you're building but who are also the right parties to have around the table when things, you know, when things are not going in the right direction. This tends to be what we will optimize for more and, um, you know, work together to figure out what numbers make sense for everyone. Tesh has a slightly different comment. He says there often is initial discord around valuation, driven by the differences in what the parties are optimizing for. Many times valuation mismatch between investors and founders, and that's because investors are optimizing for risk versus upside potential, given uh, the space is very highly competed, uh, and they'd like to make sure that they, they get the right returns um, when they pack for, for their horse, for backing the right horse. Uh, on the other hand, it's uh, because it's a complex problem to solve, founders who are very invested in building the space, you know, know they require critical mass of buyers, which means they need to invest heavily, especially early on, and but at the same time minimize the dilution as they continue to raise funding. So that's the biggest challenge in valuing. Uh, we've seen valuation based on GMV multiples, uh, hardly on revenue multiples in the B2B commerce space. So is there a particular type of investor profile that our partners have found most excited or willing to invest in the African e-commerce and retail space? So for us, we've seen two sets of investors having a lot of interest. So one is local investors who grew up visiting mom and pop stores. Um, I did that myself and that's how I understand the challenge. And so any investor on the continent um, understands pretty quickly and gets uh, excited about investing in the opportunity. The other set of investors are those who uh, take a longer term view on the continent and understand that online retail revenue will continue to increase quite substantially. Um, Interesting comparison is online sales, the whole of Africa is lower than that of Australia. Um, So if you think about our our population, which is at par with, with China, but growing at a much faster race rate. And the demographics being skewed towards younger people means that there's more and more people who will jump onto the digital wagon and partake in e-commerce activities. And that's what excites uh, investors who are taking a longer-term view on the continent. They know there's going to be massive gains. Tesh there. And how do investor attitudes vary between local and international investors? Back to Tesh. Local investors immediately get uh, what you're building. Uh, I think five minutes into a call, uh, they understand and the questions are super, super leading because it's a problem they've interacted with in one way or another versus global investors who sometimes need a couple of calls to understand, to get a hang of it and build confidence about the opportunity, uh, about the talent pools available on the continent to execute. about smartphone and e-commerce growth. 
So that's my observation. Dipanka echoes this, adding that a common misstep among international investors is to compare Africa to globally established e-commerce markets. So I think local investors have a very clear understanding of the landscape and the challenges that emerge in the different countries. And global investors um, uh, lack on that side. So there is a direct comparison from a global investor uh, in terms of the scale, in terms of um, um, transition compared to a similar startup in the United States or in Europe. So I would say Africa is a different market and there is going to be a different transition for the unicorns, the way they will emerge and how soon they'll become profitable. So I would say local investors have that understanding and are uh, normally the ones who take the initiative to spread the information and share a knowledge about it to global investors. And if you find a global investor who has this information, they are great partners. Also on the same page, Kachi says, local or not, investors need substantial knowledge of doing business in Africa and need to have long-term plans to stick around. Looking at the space in general, I think you will see a very broad range of different investors. You know, you've seen everything from, you know, very commercial private private players to more, you know, sustainability focused or impact focused um, type investors getting involved. I think it's been really a, a broad range. Our personal preference tends to be investors who, you know, have meaningful exposure to you know, the, to the region or to similar markets and have invested in building some sort of thesis around the space. Um, this is our personal preference because we find these to be the types of parties who who are more likely to be in this for, for the long term, which I think is very important if you're, you know, if you're trying to take on a problem of this, of this magnitude. We certainly look forward to watching the continent's e-commerce and retail tech space unfold in the long term, and we hope this series is whetting your appetite too. That's all for this episode. Tune in next week for the final episode of this podumentary, where we'll be looking to the future, hearing predictions and talking opportunities and growth plans with our partners Trade Depot, Omnibiz and Market Force. Thanks for listening. Bye.